Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On this episode of the Journey Women Podcast, I had the privilege of chatting with somebody you might have heard of, Jenny Allen. If you don't know her, Jenny is a Bible teacher marked by personal authenticity and vulnerability. She encourages women to go to those same places as they study scripture, wrestle with truth, and more fully live out their short time on the planet. Jenny writes Bible studies, authors books, and she founded a live event called the If Gathering. She's also a mom, a wife, and most of all, totally obsessed with following Jesus and imparting that passion to other women, which is exactly what we talk about today on the topic of leading small group studies. I hope you all find our conversation as inspiring as I did. It's just an honor to have you on the show. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Yeah, it's good to be here, Hunter. Thanks for having me. Well, what did I miss? Can you fill the listeners in on kind of your work and how you got to where you are today? Well, I mean, I think it was just, I think you summarized it pretty well of following Jesus. I mean, this this definitely wasn't part of our plan and we didn't have a 10 to 15 year goals and ambitions list. Um, There was just the follow Jesus thing. And as we've done that, he's just been so dear to bring in our lives things that we love to do. And my husband and I both are deeply passionate about building the kingdom in different ways. And mm-hmm. and so for me, that's looked like a lot of creation, whether it's building an experience like If Gathering or whether it's building an experience like a Bible study or a book. Um, to me, they're all kind of building experiences and, and content. So it's been special and cool to really feel a part of a community and team with If, both in my everyday life from having an office full of women that I'm on mission with to women across the globe that I feel I'm on mission with that are leading in their places. So it's a really, I feel really blessed to get to do what I do every day. Well, sister, you encourage me because you started kind of the beginnings of if when you had little tiny people in your house, right? Well, yes and no. I will say when this, we're just looking at like six or seven years in now. I, I will say my my son was adopted about the same year that If Gathering started and um, a, around the same time too that I launched uh, my first materials in so the public world. Okay. For the most part, my kids were not underfoot. And so I think it's good to know that because um, those are hard years. I mean, I don't know that I could yes. have done all with kids underfoot because I think for those years I I taught a Bible study in my home and I actually always did that Uh, since I was 17 years old. I've always taught a a local small Bible study. So that was kind of what I gave about 10 years of my life to outside of my family. I love that. I'm glad I I had that because it was such a natural transition as things grew to just keep doing that for more people is what I feel like I do. But, you know, I think God's timing was good that, that it didn't all take off until they were in school. Because I do think those were unusually demanding years. I don't know that I would have had the brain space to to lead everything I'm leading right now. That makes me feel better. I have a two and a one-year-old, so the brain space piece is real. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and I mean, even just those first few years, I mean, I always tell people, like, it'll be a year before you feel like you can think again after you have a it's baby. It's so true. Sleep and the energy and, yeah, it's a lot. Okay, so I want to hear a little bit more about the origin of kind of the small group study from 17, you know, and beyond. Where did this really start for you? And who taught you kind of this process about leading small groups? Well, what's funny is I, I, I did grow up in a church that was healthy. And I did grow up in a community where small groups were part of the culture. But I didn't, you know, this is before Beth Moore was really known. She was certainly teaching her Bible locally. But you know, I was in high school and, and this was, you know, early nineties. Mm-hmm. And 
So there wasn't just this women in Bible study, small group thing happening across the nation. So when I came home, I, I was saved at Canicut camps. And when I came home from camp, I just was so passionate about God. I didn't even know like how to contain it. And so I tried to talk to my friends. They all were annoyed. So <laughs> younger girls, I don't remember thinking I'm going to model this after blank. There really, yeah. it really was just, which is looking back, I'm like, it's such evidence of calling versus like manufacturing something because I, I didn't have a, a real clear model till later when I hit college. And, and now at that point, I have a crew leader that's putting me through more intense discipleship. So but I gather these freshman girls and I put them in a room and and we talk about in fact, it's hysterical. I started with the book of Revelations. I oh remember my word. Really, uh, <laughs> as a new believer and as you know, my first Bible study. So oh, dare, awesome. I never teach it again. And I've been through seminary now. I wouldn't touch it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I knew, I mean, and, and I remember even being in high school and, and a, a trusted mentor that was, you know, he led our Sunday school class. He just said, Jenny, I think you have the gift of teaching. Hmm. It's evident. And, and so, you know, I had this affirmation early and, and again, it wasn't affirmation like, Oh, you're going to go teach thousands of people. That wasn't a thing. I don't even yeah. know. I remember hearing, about even like um, Kay Arthur, all the people that preceded yeah. Beth. I mean, I they didn't know who that was. You know, there was no vision, really. So, so I think what it was was just I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to use my gifts to teach people around me, and and that, I was I loved it. I mean, that's what I loved doing. There was a catalytic part of me that wanted it to multiply more. Mm-hmm. Um, all that time, I remember there was a little bit of a restlessness of like, like I wish more people could could be about this and do this. I was yeah. really passionate about that, but I didn't, I didn't have a framework for it. I mean, anything I'm doing now. And so, you know, I just taught my Bible, taught my Bible every semester, all through college, taught my Bible, taught my Bible, started teaching peers in college, had an unbelievable crusade leader that taught me about discipleship and made me care about it. I read master plan of evangelism and it was mm. just Jesus on a few men. That was a good investment of his life. And, and I remember believing that and, and it it wasn't hard to believe that I I believed it. And, you know, this is pre-internet. So, so there's no like idea of it should be bigger and better and faster and stronger. You know, there's just, it was just make disciples. You make disciples. That was clear. It was the call. And then fast forward to, you know, about 10 years ago and I wake up in the night again, just still teaching my Bible um, I prayed anything, which was a, a story I've I've written about. But I just said, God, I'll do. We'll do anything. And my husband yeah. and I prayed together, um, and we really at that point were we meant it. Like whatever, if that hmm. means going seas, whatever that looks like, we're in. And and then at that point, woke up. I know around that time in the middle of the night with disciple a generation, those words on my mind and hmm. heart and. And so it wasn't something I could do at the time. I didn't have a platform. There was no way to do it. But fast forward a few years, and some of my Bible studies have been spread around to lots of churches, and, and a publisher gets involved, and doors start opening. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, okay, maybe he meant those words. Like, actually, maybe he meant for me to consider my part in that. And and so um, it's been so cool to really look back, um, which I've been doing some of lately, and see that my story really never took a turn or changed. I have been making disciples since I became a believer. And the format and the tools I build for that are different and at times, but the heart is the same. And it's exciting that now I'm at a stage in my life where I feel like I'm doing more releasing of other people that are making disciples. And that's super rewarding because, gosh, I look back at those 20 years and it was so cool. We just sat down with a life coach last week or life planner kind yeah, of. I saw that on Instagram. Yeah, and went through all of our life, and it started going back to like 21. And and at the end, he was like, "What do you see? What do you do?" And I I just teared up, and I was like, "I see that I've I followed Jesus. I see that we've, mm. you know, we've made disciples. And I can tell you, in every city we've lived in, in every year of my life, I can name names of women that I've invested in that are following Jesus still. And so that's the biggest accomplishment of my life is the people that I've poured into individually in real life. And out of that, sure, we've built tools that can reach a lot of a, a lot of help a lot of other people do the same thing. But for me, the the win and the call has always been um, to make disciples in front of me. 
that's really evident in all the things that you put out because I know you stand in front of thousands and thousands of women and yet you're still continuing to develop relationships with women and share kind of that life on life discipleship where you're teaching them, you're multiplying yourself into other women. And I really, really admire that. And that, you know, this is something I'd like for people to be able to utilize who are wanting to do what you've done, who want to gather a little group of women around the word, maybe for the first time ever. So do you have any key principles for leading a small group study, maybe for someone who's never gone that direction before? Well, I think the first hurdle is just recognizing that we've all been called to this on some level. Now, I mean, and I say that with a lot of confidence, even thinking back to master plan of evangelism. I mean, Jesus said, go and make disciples. So if you know him, then the call on our lives are all the same that we go make disciples. Now that can be one person, that can be five people, that can be 20 people. But yeah. but honestly, it's probably going to be a smaller group. I, I usually say a group of seven, eight or smaller, um, even to those that lead big Bible studies, I always encourage them to break those studies up into groups of seven or eight. Mm-hmm. So, so when you think about that, it feels a little more doable than something big or massive gathering. You know, you just think, okay, I'm supposed to make disciples. Where can I do that? And typically God brings to mind the people and, and then it takes a lot of risk um, and courage. Like, I, I mean, I'm telling you, it is easier to publish a book than it is to invite your neighbors to a Bible study. I don't know yeah. why it is, but that is still true. It is easier to do big things than small things. I think the courage to just interact with the people close to us and to take a risk is is difficult. Um, and, and I mean, it can look like college students. It can look like your babysitter and some of her friends. Here's what well, the other thing you got to realize is you are ahead of somebody in your life. Yeah, and those yeah. you, I, mean, I was teaching my Bible when I was 17 years old. So if you're listening to this podcast, you have technology, which means you're probably above the age of 15. Um, there's somebody <laughs> below you that is that is in some way behind you and you have something to give to them. Yeah. Most of the girls I've invested in when I was a junior still love Jesus. I mean, I don't think I totally ruined their faith by butchering the book of Revelation. <laughs> uh, I think you just go for it. And I think yeah. you recognize that you need help. You need people pouring into you. I've always had that. I still look for that. I just moved to Dallas and I'll still look for that. I have that on, um, in a few women outside of the city, but, but I'll look for that here too. I, I think we, um, we seek out to be discipled and to to be under authority of a local church. And then we, we give our lives away. And so I think one, you have to look at it as the great commission and, and part of the great commandment of loving our neighbors. So we got to see it as this is just what we're called to. It doesn't matter if you have leadership gift, doesn't matter if you have teaching gifts, um, you are called to invest your life in a few others. And I think the second thing is to admit that this isn't sexy. I mean, mm-hmm. this isn't starting a blog or a podcast <laughs> or a yeah. book, launching a nonprofit. This is, this is just not sexy. Nobody's going to pat you on the back and cheer you on. In fact, most of the time you're investing in that person younger than you, you're frustrated. You wish they were going faster. You kind of want to shake them because they make dumb decisions. Like it's, it's not sexy and it's not easy and nobody's going to cheer. So you have to believe down into your bones that this is what God's called you to, or you're going to quit. And so I think you've got to go, okay, this is, this is worth the time and investment of my life. So I think a big thing I'm called to lately is convincing people that this is how the world still changes, even with the internet, even with yeah. the potential to reach so many people. We have to come back to the old ways that Jesus called us to. Um, it is life-on-life discipleship. There's no way around it. Is the other unvaluable? Is it not good? Obviously, I don't think that. I, I spend a lot of my time doing all of that. But I do all of that in the effort that people like you out there would be able to have what they need to do the main thing. It's not the main thing. These are all things supporting the main thing. The main thing of being a believer and following Jesus is to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to Uh love people like it, the great commandment and the great commission, and to make disciples of all the earth. And, And what that looked like was right in front of you, how Jesus did it, a handful of people, them pouring into a handful of people. Um, somebody asked me once, what is the sign that, you know, or what, what is a measuring marker to tell if you're making a disciple hmm. or, or how you are in the process or what? And I said, it's easy. Jesus, um, made it really clear. You make disciples, you're making disciples. So once they're making a disciple, that's a good marker. That means you've, you've done good work. You've made an effective disciple. And the reason I feel like that's true is that once that person is pouring into someone else, they will tether themselves to the resources and growth they need to take care of that other person. It's just like mothering. You know, once you yeah. the world, you are going to te- you you have now tethered yourself to that person to make sure they have milk and 
food and shelter and clothes. It's the same thing when you're discipling somebody. Now, once you get someone discipling somebody, they find, they see the need for the local church. They want to take the equipping classes that you can't seem to get people to sign up for. They, they, they are, they are now seeking out inputs because they need them for the places and the people that they're investing in. So I just think it was always meant to be a circular thing and and um, there's not some moment of achievement where you're ready to make disciples. You just go start doing it. And as you get to places you need help, you ask for it. Yeah. I think it seems a lot scarier before you actually start. Like you're thinking it through. And then it's scary as you go, too. I don't know. It it always requires a lot of faith. Yeah. Well, it's a supernatural process. I mean, we're, we're yeah. asking supernatural life change. We're asking for people to want God that in their flesh don't. We're asking for him to save souls. We're asking him to, um, to take someone from darkness to light. I mean, it is a super, we're engaging in supernatural work. And so we have to view it that way. We can't view it as, do I have the resources I need? Yes. Purpose. We do not have the resources we need to accomplish the purpose. But as you, the reason it gets easier is because you see the Holy Spirit working beside you. You, you can't believe how rewarding it is. I mean, you know, another thing I've found is no matter what else I do, and, and how gifted I am to be able to do what I'm doing and the resources God's provided to be able to do it. There still is nothing more rewarding than a living room full of girls mm. or a coffee date with a girl giving her the word of God. Uh, you, there really isn't. And I, I would say that's true for all of us that are uh, producing content. That there's nothing. Um, so there might be nothing sexy about about discipleship, but there's nothing more rewarding than discipleship. I mean, I think it's what we were made yeah. to do. I think God puts around it some some of the su- supernatural strength we need, his presence, vision for it. And then he also, in so many ways, while it's hard, it's also the most delightful thing you'll do. Mm. Yes. Oh, my word. We just recently had a small group in my house. And I can't remember the number of babies, but I think it was somewhere between eight and 10 amidst like four or five women. And my house is really, really tiny. We live in like on post housing. And at any given moment, there was at least two babies screaming. (laughs) It was the least sexy thing of my entire life. But it was a blast. I mean, we learned so much together. And there's so much that we learned about the book that we were studying. We were studying Isaiah. But I think also there was a lot just to be learned about loving one another and serving each other in that environment and how we served each other outside the group as well. I'd love to hear just, you know, as you're talking, I'm so curious, like, how does this flesh itself out really practically? Does it look different with every disciple? Or what is kind of the format of your studies and your method for discipleship? That's a tricky question. So there's the content provider part of me that Mm -hmm. is in a process, but there's the organic relational part of me that says, just jump in and, and, and feel it out. I do think and believe in tools. I mean, I'm giving my life to that as well. And, and so when I build a study, I mean, for a lot of the people I'm thinking about are the postmoderns who maybe they, they didn't and wouldn't sign up for BSF or they wouldn't sign up for Bethmore. They, you know, it's too much homework or, you know, I I really put a lot of, how do I build a deep intellectual, emotional, um, experience where, where you're engaged no matter what level you are, but also can do this in a, in a way that fits into your life. And, and also that, that postmoderns are are drawn to and excited about millennials, because I do think that we're looking at a decline in, you know, the way women's ministry and Bible study has been done, but we're not looking at a decline in hunger for God's word and a Mm -hmm. decline. So, so that makes me excited because I, I feel like where, where I get to be a bridge builder is trying to help take what the generation above has done so well to do and give us the word in mm-hmm. such practical, amazing ways, deep ways, and then help bridge to the, maybe the generation that, that has not signed up for some reason. Yeah. And so I think about them and I think one reason that we, you know, and I'm saying we, because, um, I was, I was right on the verge, you know, I, I signed up for a few Bible studies and kind of checked out. And, and I think some of the things that I thought about were one, I want to do this in a way that feels a little more organic, that it feels like it's with my people, um, that I can have them into my home, that I can invite neighbors that may not be believers. Um, I also want to do it in a way that feels like it hits me where I am. So it's not necessarily fill in the blank. It's more questions that start great conversations that lead us to a need for, for God. And so I've, I've tried to build studies that, 
that engage the heart and the mind and even the hands into service and action. I think we're very socially driven uh, generation. And, and so how do we engage with what we are learning, not just learn it, but how do we go out and live differently? So, so I do think those are, those are values that I think this generation has. Um, at the same time, I think they're also believing they have the power to lead. I think a lot of women actually think to themselves, you know, give me the right tools and I'll go, I'll go lead. And the reason I know that to be true is I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at if gathering, the reason it is grown to the level it's grown is because of those type of women all over the world that have said, you gave me a vision, you put a tool in my hand and I made, you know, I put together something that actually served and ministered to our community. Um, and so it's been cool to just believe in the gifts of women and to see how um, you give them, you know, it feels like what's a few crumbs and a few fish and they, they turn it, you know, God through them turns it into something pretty spectacular. So I think, you know, realizing that these tools exist for whether it's, you know, Bible studies that, that I've written or other friends have written, whether it's if gathering tools, these things exist for you to go win with. It's not, there's not necessarily a format you have to use it in, but yeah. But I would say building great conversations, building things around the table, building into your local churches insofar as coming back, pointing everything back to that. I, I just believe in the local church. Bible study should never take the place of that. It should happen and lead to the church and hopefully serve the church. Yeah. I think there's, there's ways to do that in your home. There's ways to do that in your churches. But I think as women grow in their understanding of the word, as they grow in their mission to make disciples— a lot of things snap in, you know, a lot of, a lot of growth happens personally, a lot of, um, the Holy Spirit is unleashed through that. I mean, when we're doing what he made us to do, whatever those giftings are to serve discipleship in the church, um, things start happening that are beyond, that are beyond what you could do. Absolutely. I just had a friend text me the other day and she asked, she was like, you know, I have a group of gals who are not quite ready to sit down and learn how to do inductive study. Yet we want to have more conversation than just kind of like a book club. And where is this like happy median study where, you know, I can invite these women. I'm not really sure if they're believers and they would feel comfortable engaging. And I totally recommended nothing to prove and proven actually the study. I think everybody should go check those out if you haven't already. And if you're looking for a tool for a group that sounds like that. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's word. You know, one thing that I've seen with small groups is you do, you get excited, like you were saying about people growing in their love for Jesus. And you want to see that happen in more and more and more lives. But I'd love for you just to talk about, especially as someone who has really seen that multiply, how can we as leaders stay focused on seeking God and the souls of men over building our ministry? Because I think when our gaze kind of shifts, obviously it becomes about us as opposed to being about Christ. So how can we stay tethered there? I think it's a great question. I think the reality is we are in a world that is sending us more messages and more crowded and more noisy than it's ever been. So I think that what we've got to recognize is we are at war for our mind and our affections really, I think, at a different level than ever before. I mean, there was space and time in the past for contemplation. I even see it back as simple as five years mm-hmm. ago in my life. There was more, I didn't I didn't have as much noise. When we yeah. moved into the house, I limited, you know, our house to one TV because I was like, I just, I've got to cut 
some of the noise everywhere. And at the same time, there's still that phone in your hand. You got to now limit that. So now, now it's turned on to a, into a full on assault. If you want to get a quiet time, you know I mean? It's not even, it's not even easy to do that anymore. You know, we, we woke up to that in the olden days. Now we wake up to, to CNN and Fox news and, and, you know, all the Instagram (laughs) and and Facebook and, and Twitter. I mean, the number of, you know, tethers being thrown at you from on a given um, morning is ridiculous. So, so I think it's just good to say, okay, this is this is a real war, and we've got an issue if we don't learn to fight in it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think we've got to prioritize. You know, one of the things I did in this life planning was just to to recognize like spiritual disciplines and and practices I need for my own soul to to remain um, yeah. sensitive to the spirit and. And all of that is hard. I mean, there's nothing about it that I want to do that's easy in itself. But then when I do it, I know it is good. And and we've got to become also a self-fed generation where we are feeding, we are becoming responsible for our own health. So when we aren't healthy, we're not looking to our job as the problem. We're not looking to, you know, our friends as the problem. We're looking to our, you know, our own personal spiritual life and going, is that in order? Um, and again, not that there can't be problems with other things to sort out, but but at the end of the day, so much of the worry, the discontentment, the stress that we have is because we aren't genuinely walking moment by moment with Jesus. And that's a hard discipline. So I think to prioritize that kind of life, it's just a whole other level of discipline that's required these days. Yeah, I loved how in your book, you talked about kind of drinking in that living water and where we're storing the living water. Like, how do you say you're mentioning it when you're talking through meeting with this kind of vision planner? What is he called? A goal planner? Well, he won't even give himself a name. He like calls himself like, he's like a Yoda. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah, it's just kind of life planning. Okay. But- yes. So what things did you take away that you're like, okay, these are the types of things that keep me drinking this living water. These are the things that help me to flourish in my relationship with Jesus. So one of my one of my giftings, I'd say my primary giftings all lie in the, the really the creative space. And so one thing I've learned as a creator that I create something and then it has to be organizationally managed. So I'm learning to really hand those things off and go back to my creative space and create and to trust. It takes trust. It takes yeah. the right. It takes building the right structures so that can happen and flourish. So I think carving time for that. Um, I'm going to start spending Wednesdays alone and and just, you know, walking through cool. I mean, it's everything from walk for me. It's walking through like, um, art studios and, and, um, Mm. through bookstores and walking through creative spaces. I mean, I can be inspired. I know this sounds crazy, but, but because I write Christian material, but like I've gotten cover ideas and, and, and like layout ideas for studies from urban outfitters, like flipping through books. I know that's crazy. Like I wouldn't recommend the books I'm picking up. But I'm like, there's so much creativity everywhere you're yeah. looking. Go. And so drawing from that, drawing from creativity um, for me is is really, it makes everything fire. Like my brain just works. My heart feels like it's like singing instead of dying on the vine, you know. Um, so I think feeding creative pursuit is important for me. Um, getting to write, the discipline of that, um, doing it for pleasure, like writing in a journal. I have journals and journals until I became a writer professionally. And then, you know, the journal stopped because everything went on a blog or a, or a Facebook post or a, and, and I realized I no, I've got to put pen to paper and still journal. Um, I've got to, of course, be in the word that's an ongoing thing, but also finding creative ways to do that and, and giving space to, to think through that intentionally, not just doing the same thing every day, but getting, you know, the, the Bible on audio and plugging it, plugging it yes. into my phone. That's you know, so just, key for me as a mom. Yeah. Especially so. when the babies wake early and you're like, the quiet time is ruined. <laughs> yeah. Just go on the walk and plug in Bible.is. Yeah. Even though it's a little eerie with all of like the animation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's so evident to see kind of just how your ministry has flourished because of the way in which you passionately follow Jesus and you love him. And it, it, you know, I know that 
that isn't always promised to those of us who are following Jesus, but you know, I can see why people want to follow you, Jenny. So thank you just for your heart for Jesus. And I don't even know how you define success, right? Like it's not by numbers or anything that I think our culture wants to define it by, but how do you handle when you are, you do have people who are following you as you follow Jesus and they offer you positive feedback like I'm doing even now. Like, how do you respond to that as a leader and to stay humble? Well, the answer to this is, is not fun. The answer to this is, I, I think it's somewhat impossible. If you really want it, you have to pray for it. And if mm. you really pray for it, it will come in the form of disappointment and in suffering. I, I don't think there's any escaping mm. it. And um, the p- private parts of my life in the last few years have involved um, the hardest years for my family, my sister, mm. going through things I'll never be able to write about or talk about. Um, the the My best friend having a massive stroke and still being in custody fights for her kids um, and not being able to speak still. Um, the way she did. And, and it's just, it's like, you know, it's real. I I tell people it's real hard to get an ego when you're unpacking your, your friend's pantry that can't speak and is walking with a cane. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, the next day you're flying out to speak on the biggest stage you've ever spoke on. You're not really like thinking about how cool you are. You know, it's just not, not in the framework. So in, in those ways, I guess I'm, I'm somewhat blessed that, that he's protected me with, with it because it's never been a fight. I mean, just really honestly, I, and I don't even know how to tell somebody to fight it because I've, ne- I would love an ego An ego would be my best friend. It would feel so good. Oh, I would love it. But I, I don't know how to even get it. I just, it's not, um, mm-hmm. it's not something that it's just not there. And there's always in me too. Maybe it's the way I'm wired. There's always the next mountain that I'm climbing as the, mm-hmm. as the, last thing is probably hitting its fruition. I'm, I'm usually on to the next thing. So there's a real sobriety to my life that this is short and yeah. I'm not for, I'm in it for the glory of God. And as, as, and the, the hard days outweigh the good days still, um, doesn't mean I don't have fun and, and celebrate and think there's, there's so much blessing around me too. It's not, it doesn't mean that I just, you know, and I think part of that comes with age. I, I, I think that the more I look ahead of me, the less that's even a conversation uh-huh. with, uh, with mentors because they're just, they're beat down too. And yeah, and not, not in a d- disabled way, but in a reality way, we're at war. <laughs> I Seriously. Mean, we're, you're, if you're really going to go at that, if you're really going to go fight for the glory of God and the good of people, you're not signing up for an ego and you're not signing up for an easy life. Like you are signing up to be at war. And and I'm sure there would be an easier way to, to write books and, and all that. I would just recommend like the self-help section and like do some like happy. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> but, but we're like, we're going to war with, with darkness. We're, we're trying to set captives free and, and all that's heavy and hard. And I, I mean, of my friends that do a similar thing that I do, I don't know any of them that aren't fighting similarly, you know? So I think be careful what you wish for. I always tell my girls, I'm like, don't ever wish for more leadership. Because when you wish for more leadership, you're you're wishing for more sanctification and you're wishing for the enemy to come at you harder. So don't wish for it. If it comes your way, steward it well, but but don't don't crave it. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you is looking back on Jenny when she was 20 years old. And, and I kind of feel like the girls that you're talking to right there might be a picture of this. But I'd love to hear what you would say to Jenny as a Bible teacher and disciple maker when she was 20 that you would encourage her with that you know now. So today that makes me more teary than mm. it did two weeks ago because I just played out my 20s, you know, last week. Yeah. And so what I would have said to her was you're doing good work mm. and, and don't think there's something bigger around the corner that you're doing it right now with your kids, with your babies, with, um, with the women you're discipling, you're doing the big thing. And, and I think I would have felt more settled if I could have believed that, you know, yeah. rather than I'm not doing enough or I'm not doing it good enough. Um, you know, I think, I think there's, there's, there's nobility and honor in faithfulness and faithfulness can look like diaper changes and faithfulness can look like, um, coffee dates yeah. 
younger girls. And faithfulness can look like working a hard job to provide for your family. It, it can look like a lot of different things. Um, but I think we tend to to be really hard on our, ourselves when um, the truth is we're all probably doing the best with what we've been given that we can do. Oh, my word. That is so encouraging to me because one of the things that's really resonated me with me, especially reading Nothing to Prove, is how, correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I'm reading from you, fear is something that you wrestle with and as far as like fear of I don't know, disappointing people or being perceived the wrong way or whatever it is. Like for me, that's something that I've really struggled with, even with the start of Journey Women, just wanting people to know that I am really truly about the gospel, that all I want is for the gospel to be preached, that I deeply love Jesus. And that's all I'm trying to impart and the fear of being misperceived. And anyways, it's just really, really encouraging reading how you have walked that road kind of before me is am I reading that right or am I just reading into it because because I'm there absolutely and I think I think that that would be another thing I'd say to my 20 year old self is go for it like Mm -hmm. go take your gifts and do the most you can I mean shoot you read the bible and I can't remember exactly where it is but the the parable of the talents yeah it's terrifying I mean you're looking at three people that have been given talents um, they have been given different portions. Um, one has been given one, one has been given two, and I believe one was given five. And you look at the story play out and, and the person with one got scared of the master and they buried the talent cause they were, mm. it was almost like they were scared they were going to become, you know, wow. a big deal or they were going to mess it up or they were going to do it wrong. And, and so they bury it. And then you look at the other two and they, they, they did, they just, they put it to work. They used yes. it and they put it to work. And it was doing different things, and, and their talent allotment was all different. But that, that was of no consequence to the master. What was of consequence was, what did you do with what I gave you? And and did you invest it, or did you bury it? And and he was so disappointed. I mean, he threw out the one that that um, that buried it. So, so we've got to, we've really got to shift our thinking of this and, and using our gifts and realize this is stewardship before God. And if we let our view of our of our reputation of ourselves, if we let our view of humility be that we should bury something because God would be pleased. You have a passage that should haunt you and terrify you um, right there. And, and it is, um, you know, I mean, it it is, we have got to be faithful stewards of what God has given us and, and, and whatever that is. And, and to the extent you can invest it for the kingdom of God, do it. And that's not to say there won't be wrong motives that pop up all the time. Are you kidding me? Heck yeah. It sure is nice to, you know, there were years I didn't, I did what I am doing now. I'm doing all the work and I couldn't afford any help, like any assistant, mm-hmm. you know, and I was killing myself. And, and then there were the years that I got paid a little bit more and it was, it made it a little bit easier. Like, heck yeah, I like the comfort of it being a little bit easier financially. But the truth is that's not a motive. That's yeah. different. A motive is something. Why are you doing what you're doing? The rest is stewardship. You got to figure out how to steward all that. But but it shouldn't stop if something's successful. I think we're afraid of success. We're afraid yeah. of putting ourselves out there and winning. I think we feel more comfortable. A lot of women. I know this sounds crazy, but I think it's true. Feel more comfortable in failure than they do in success. I think they're yeah. they're less embarrassed if they fail than if they succeed. Yeah. I think success scares people. And they think, oh, my gosh, I look like I think I'm a big deal. I look like, what is this? You know, whatever. I don't know what kind of game that is. But the truth is, when our motive is to build, the seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. And what he means is if you keep your motive right, if your heart and your mind and your eyes are set on pleasing Jesus, you really won't care what those things are. You're not going to care if they're big yeah. or you're going to be building the kingdom and everything you need is going to be there and you're going to be walking with my spirit and you're going to watch people's lives change and it's the greatest adventure you could ever imagine. That's, I mean, I'm going to reinterpret that verse. That's what I would reinterpret it as is everything you need and and it doesn't mean, I do not think it means money, fame, all that. Right. I think it means what you need to accomplish the purposes that God has set before you, you will have. And and I have, I can absolutely say that is true. I mean, there were times I didn't know if we were going to be able to pay our mortgage. And there were times that I didn't know if I was ruining my kids. Um, yeah. <laughs> but everything, looking back, everything we needed was always there. And, and he has not stopped being faithful for one minute. And, and so all these things had been added um, every day. 
as we followed him. Well, your faithfulness to him really encourages and blesses me. So thank you just for looking your face to Jesus and for following him, no matter what it looks like, even if it means sharing your life with a lot more people than you ever wanted to. (laughs) I'd just love to hear, Jenny, before we go, what three resources you'd recommend if you have any for somebody that's wanting to develop as a disciple, a mentor, a small group leader. And this could be anything from like an experience to a podcast or a conference if you want to pub if, which if not, I'll go ahead and do so now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm actually going to pub if equipped. I think that is So it's an email. You can go sign up if equip.com and put your email in and it's deeper discipleship. In fact, we're about to start um, our, another church history study and it sounds boring, but the truth is it's the most interesting thing you've ever done. And it's deeper. It's taking women deeper so that they feel equipped. They're not sitting there thinking, wow, you know, I've never been to seminary. I don't know about God. I don't know these things. We're actually going to take you through systemically holistic discipleship. And and so we're doing that as a community. Um, we have several studies a year that you can sign up for and just get an email or the app is If Gathering um, app on the App Store, both um, on iTunes. And what's the people that aren't Apple people called? Oh, Any- Overcast, Stitcher? Oh, Anyway, there's it's out there on both. If you have okay. an Android, you can get it. So all that to say, I think that's a good one. And I do think that, sure, the gathering is an amazing tool. It's one of those tools, too, people can use. Um, it comes up in February, and you can gather your friends, your neighbors, your church around it. Um, and you can just go to ifgathering.com and read more about the gathering and yeah. get the date on that. But I would say the other thing I love is... If you want to go make disciples, I mean, keep it easy and simple. Um, Some of you might want to just open the book. You know, you might be comfortable with your Bibles and teaching your Bibles. I would challenge you to do that. Do teach the book of Philippians. If you have the gift of teaching, you've got to be using that. Um, But if you don't and you want to bring disciples together, um, there's great resources at the shop, If Gathering shop. And you can go see that online, too, with ifgathering.com. And and one of those, I mean, I think Proven is a good one. I think mm-hmm. those Bible studies, we've provided everything. If you buy the kit, there's a DVD, there's conversation cards. I mean, you literally don't have to do anything except invite your friends and and plug it in. And so there's a study guide, a leader's guide. You can get those kits, Stuck and Chase and all that on online. Um, so I think those are easy plug and play. If you're intimidated, if you're a college student and you're thinking, I just didn't apply to me. Yes, it does. Like I, some of my best discipleship work happened in my sorority house on university of Arkansas campus. So I would say it absolutely applies to you. I cannot go there. Hunter, you cannot go to there to, to campus. They're yeah. there. Um, so here's a tool that you can take, you know, get proven the kit and, and lead some girls and you can't believe it. What I love is people are so receptive. They want to talk about deeper things. They want to talk about yeah. God. They think they do, but once they do, you can't get them to, to stop. I mean, even unbelievers, I think we, we, we underestimate people's craving for the eternal, for, for a relationship with God. It is built in. It says um, that we were built, men was created with eternity written into their yeah. hearts. So don't be discouraged. Like, don't be afraid. If somebody says no, someone else, five more people may say yes. So I would say risk, invite some people, um, get a tool. We also have if table and you can sign up there and it's recipe cards, um, conversation cards for unbelievers. You just invite oh, four, awesome. four or five unbelievers to your table and have a conversation about God. It's just a start. Okay. So some of the most potent discipleship happened for me in college as well. And it was totally exactly what you're describing. I remember we used Priscilla Shire books. We just had a great, great time sitting down in the basement of my sorority house, which makes me think to ask, which sorority were you in? <laughs> I was a pie-pie. Okay. Yes. Some of my dear friends were pie-pies. Both Jenny and I went to University of Arkansas. And so I was curious. So What, what sorority were you? Kappa. Oh, yeah. Kappa, Kappa, Gamma. Yeah. I went to pie-pie and Kappa on prep night. So I love that we have that connection. It made me laugh whenever I read your book. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know she went to U of A. So yep. it's a fun yeah. connection. Well, I'd love to hear some more fun from you, which by the way, I listened to your podcast with Annie Downs on the topic of fun. And I love that she discipled you in the way of fun making. She's actually coming on the show to talk about fun in a couple of weeks. And it's something that I really need to grow in personally. (laughs) So I'm excited to get to hear from her. And on that note, I'd love to hear what are three things that are fun for you, three of your simple joys. So I think my simple joys right now are 
discovering new things. Um, so and we're in a new city and it's really fun. I, in fact, yesterday I, I was meeting a friend for lunch and I started just walking in all the little restaurants nearby cause I just wanted to see them and found the cutest little bitty spot that I never would have had if I hadn't walked in for a date night, little bitty white tablecloths, not fancy, it was just a little cafe, but we're headed there tomorrow night. So I love like discovering yes, new little hole in the wall. New places. Um, we always try to go somewhere different because it just feels fun to explore. Well, I noticed that even with one of your old studies, I was looking at some of your videos. I think it was the restore um, video. Oh my goodness. I can't remember exactly. Restless. It was the restless video in the old church in Austin. Is uh, that right? Yeah. That was gorgeous. So I can totally see that in your work too, how everything is so just experientially beautiful. It's yes. pretty amazing. Love- <laughs> And I think, yeah, I'm always learning from, from people that create different environments and experiences. Um, I love being outdoors. Um, I've, even if it's little, like we, we are going to my mother-in-law's a few streets away and, and I get Cooper and we get on our bikes instead of driving, you know, I've just, I try to, I'm trying just to make better choices, not, not for my health because it's not even that far just to be outside and to, to, you know, walk instead of drive. I love people, you know, I love when I'm not exhausted, I love creating experiences for people. And so, um, we are all about that and we just got, you know, settled in this house and we have a backyard and we're talking about lights we're going to string and just, Aww, how do we build- I love that. Are you guys really, truly settled? Like you have your stuff on the walls? Uh, yeah. Kinda. <laughs> <laughs> Military. It's like you have stuff on the walls in two days, but in the civilian world, I've noticed it takes a lot longer, which uh-huh. is totally understandable, but I was it's curious. Different. Yeah. We're in process. It, I think it'll be a while. I kind of am at a stopping place where, Good. yes, the things I have are on the wall yeah. and I probably need to find some new things and, and that's just going to have to go on the back yeah. burner for a while. So. I think it's harder when you don't have a whole, like you aren't going to be there for a short period of time. I think it's actually harder because I know if I just put a hole in this wall, it's fine. I'm right. moving in two years. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. And I'm hoping that that's not our case. I hope we're there for a while. So, oh yeah. Uh, I hope that. So there's too. no hurry too is the other thing. So we're, we're kind of just living in it even amidst a few more boxes and things. Yes. Yes. Well, Thank you so much for coming on. One of the things that I ask every single guest, because I just think it's so cool to see how this whole process of discipleship that you are referencing flushes itself out in each and every one of us. And so I ask everybody, as a journey woman for Jesus yourself, who has had the biggest influence on your journey with Jesus? Oh, oh, no pressure. That's a lot. (laughs) It is a lot. You can make it whatever you want. (laughs) Well, there's some big players out there. Like, I can't tell you how many people have invested in my life, but I'm going to go with my husband. I mean, we just sat down together last week and and laid out our lives together. And I was like, man, I can say since I've married you, we have not pursued comfort. We have pursued Jesus together. And he has never settled for second best. He always even um, when we think, okay, this is the best case scenario, we're still in the back of our minds praying, God, is there something better? And mm. and sometimes there had, you know, we've been right where we're supposed to be, and sometimes we've had to adjust as we just did with Dallas. And he's just been so faithful to lead me well. I mean, not one thing I do exists without his favor and protection. I mean, he edits every single thing that comes out of If Gathering and, and that I write. He, he is he pushes me. I mean, I probably would would do less for the kingdom of God if it weren't for him Mm. saying, I want you to do this and I want you to go and I want you to speak here and I want you to do this. And, and I mean, it's pretty crazy because most, I know that's not normal. And, and so I think his love for the kingdom and love for Jesus, uh, just has caused him to live his life with single minded. This is what we exist for. And of course, as his wife who is submissive to him, I mean, that's of course I've followed suit. I mean, this is, what we've given our lives to. So I'm grateful for that. And he really is my best friend and, and a truly a teammate in everything from parenting to every book I write to every ministry I pursue to even just discipling and loving our team and our staff. I mean, it's so cute. Every girl that gets married um, or starts dating somebody seriously at if gathering has to vet it, vet that boy. They have to sit down across from him and and it's because he's loved them well and they trust him and, and care about him. So it's, I just am really grateful for his life. 
when you talk about how you guys had that really kind of open conversation where you're like, we want to just follow Jesus wherever it is that he calls us. I just had to sit there and think like, wow, you know, being in the military and being in this kind of program (laughs) that just keeps going and you don't really think outside of it a whole lot. I definitely see that in my own life. I think that for Brooks and I, that's a good conversation that we need to have together that we just haven't had in a while by nature of just kind of going with how life is going, just kind of moving forward. So I'm super excited to sit down with Brooks and to share with him y'all's story and to have that good conversation where we're like, man, are we really willing to do whatever it is that the Lord asks of us? So thank you so much for leading by example there. Well, I think it is ongoing. I think that's wise. Yes. You know, we did it again last week and are we, are we willing to, to do the next thing? And there were certain things that were easy, no brainer. And there were other things that were more costly. And we, you know, we all kind of paused at, at some of the risks that we feel like God's calling us to take next. So, um, so yeah, I, I do. I think it's, it's an everyday thing and it's a every year thing. And it's a, also a, so true lifetime way to it's live. a lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, Jenny, thank you so much for encouraging me by the way you live. I mean that so wholeheartedly. I just, it's so weird. And I know you probably have people tell you this all the time, but just to think like, okay, you know, I'm scared right now, but so was Jenny Allen when she did all this different stuff and just look your face to Jesus and walk in obedience and trust him and seek after his approval over anybody else's. So thank you for doing that for me and for so many people. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. You bet, Hunter. Thanks for having me. This conversation really encouraged me to pursue real relationships with the goal of making disciples. My sincere hope is that this podcast will serve as a springboard for conversations within the context of your real life community, like your small group, the women at your church, your coworkers, the girls in your dorm room, or just with moms at the park. I'm praying that intentional conversations centered around the word of God will challenge and deepen your faith while strengthening your relationships with your mentors and your disciples and your friends. Come share how you're growing at Journey Women Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook throughout the week. And we're looking forward to seeing you guys here next Monday. Have a great week.